Welcome to Practice Care with Carl White, the podcast where we help practice owners in healthcare know just enough about the business side to make good business decisions and keep their practices independent. Now our host, Carl. My guest today exemplifies the idea of continuous pursuit of controlling your practice and how you spend your time. And she's going to tell us more about that on Practice Care. I'm Carl White, Principal at Mark Advisory Group, which is a healthcare marketing agency, and I'm also the host of Practice Care. The mission for both is the same, and that's to help private practice owners stay private. Not only is that what they really want to do, but I'm really convinced that care is better. It's when it's just you and your provider at the table figuring out what's best for you. And there's nobody else secretly whispering in the provider's ear what their agenda is, whether it's a hospital, a health system, owners at faraway lands, whoever it is, when it's just you and your doctor, it's the best chance for the best care. And my guest today is Dr. Ingrid Liu. Dr. Liu is the owner and director of Progressive Health Primary Care. She's been practicing family medicine for over 20 years, and until 2014, she practiced as a partner in a traditional primary care clinic and as a physician in a large multi-specialty organization. Her love of medicine was continuous, but over that time, she found herself spending more and more time dealing with regulations and rules of health insurance companies, this is going to be a theme, and less time taking care of patients. So in 2014, Dr. Liu was recruited to open the first office in Chicagoland for a concierge medicine practice. The concierge model allows doctors to spend more time with patients compared to a traditional practice. And while she did have more time for patients, concierge practices still take insurance and she still found herself spending time fighting insurance companies. So in 2020, she transitioned again to her practice to Progressive Health Primary Care, which is a direct primary care practice, and she's going to tell us more about what that is. Ultimately, though, it means that she can now devote more time to patient care without having to spend any time dealing with insurance companies' myriad rules and administrative burden. Ingrid, thank you for taking some time to come on Practice Care. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, full disclosure, uh, we work together. You've been a client since you opened Progress or transitioned into Progressive Health Primary Care in 2020. But, you know, and I gave... uh, sort of a very high level overview of, of uh, you know, your career progression, but tell our listeners and fill in some of the blanks about the rest of the practice history and more specifically, a little more granularity on what concierge primary care practices and what direct primary care practices and how, you know, how they're similar and how they're different. In, when I was in a traditional practice, uh, family medicine, internal medicine, primary care, um, it's, uh, it's, you're at the mercy of the reimbursements from insurance companies. And so the only way to make more money is to see more patients. And there's only so many patients you can see in a day. Um, And I was burning out pretty badly, um, much like what is being across the nation, um, you know, instances uh, where physicians are, just can only do so much in a day. Um, I left that model uh, mostly because the opportunity just kind of fell in my lap uh, to join a, uh, a startup concierge practice. There, there are other, you know, um, concierge models that are already established and running, but this was a company that was getting its foot wet in the Midwest area. Um, and, and so I thought it was enticing. It allowed me to have more time with my patients. 
And so concierge medicine and direct primary care medicine are both based on a membership model where patients of the practice pay a uh, membership fee to be part of the practice and therefore eliminates the need to see high volume every day. Um, but as you mentioned in a concierge practice, all in-person uh, encounters and also telehealth with the, with the pandemic, face-to-face um, -face encounters can be billed to insurance um, for, uh, for that visit and to kind of increase um, the revenue. And um, the rules of that, however, are that all the membership payment fees have to fall outside of um, services that are for healthcare, for medical services. And so specifically Medicare is the strictest of all of that, but all of you know, the insurances you contract for payment for medical services. And so you have to be very careful in following those rules and saying that these membership fees that you're collecting are specifically for kind of other additional perks, mm. really, um, and, and for access, for um, not even for after hours care, because as part of your rule of your, of your contract is that you're available and have on-call coverage for your, for your patients. So you can't even say that as being the reason why you can charge an extra fee. Um, so it gets pretty tricky. It's like um, and so over and over again, yeah. it is, and it becomes and and over the years, the 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 language in these insurance contracts have become more and more um, difficult to get around in terms of what's allowed and what's not. Um, and so, as a physician, you know, physicians are not very good business people. We want to help people. Um, we are we tend to be altruistic and very giving. And we give, you know, advice and care all the time, all day long um, to patients who need it. And we don't worry about the fine print lots of times. And so um, it, it does get pretty um, sketchy when someone calls you out and says, well, you're saying that this is part of the membership, but, you know, why are you also billing insurance that you're double dipping, oh. right? So, so that's, I didn't like that. And then on top of that, I felt that people were paying a, a, a fee and expecting to get their health kind of care and coverage as included. It was too hard to kind of explain. And so it attracted, um, unfortunately, you know, it was, it was kind of, it left a lot of people um, who couldn't afford it. And because you're not only paying for your um, you know, healthcare insurance and the membership. And on top of that, any balance billing that suddenly, you know, if the insurance comes back and says you have a high deductible or this is that covered, um, the patients are obligated to also pay that balance to the, to the physician or you have to, uh, you know, try and collect for it. And it ended up being more out-of-pocket expense for the patients. And I felt bad about okay. that. Um, so then I discovered that there is this newer model called direct primary care, which is kind of gaining in popularity in mostly rural areas because the options are less there. Um, but also, you know, now in, you know, urban uh, areas as well. And it eliminates insurance altogether. So, um, you know, the, the physician still sees the patient just like normal and still has the membership fees. But then that's it. You don't have to 
yeah. try and guess what something is going to be covered or not and cross your fingers when you bill, you know, and see what kind of additional. And on top of that, the reimbursements were getting less and less and less for all the trouble of submitting and resubmitting and providing the documentation and checking the boxes and crossing the T's right. and, and for 20 bucks, right. it's like, you know, and then the patients still have to pay the co-pays on yeah. top of that for every visit. So it just, it just made more sense to me. Um, and I think it makes more sense to patients. Um, it, except that, yes, you're still, you're still having to have health insurance and pay for that in case of other, right. you know, issues and emergencies, or if you need to see a specialist, you know, but for everything that's done inside of the, the walls of my yeah. practice, there, there's insurance is not um, involved yeah. in any way. Yeah, sometimes I'll, because I'll say, I've got this college to direct, but what's, what's direct private care? And I say, well, have you heard of concierge? Yeah, I've heard of, all right, take that, subtract all health insurance, and it's the membership fee pays for all but the very rare, modest, couldn't be predicted, you know, lab test or something, depending on the patient. But for the most part, it's just, it's the membership fee. And it's, everything else is this, I mean, it's, it's still lengthy visits, still same day. Now it's still all the same things that a concierge model promises, but there's just no insurance. And that's the only difference. Oh, I get it. I get it. What are like a couple right. of like really egregious examples of insurance company battles that you faced? Because it's that is obviously the heart of why you kept deciding to find a model that worked for you because they just were always there. So what are some just like really horrible examples? Um, well, I can, I can name specifically while I was still in the concierge model, I had a patient who had, a, uh, you know, to, to try not to be too graphic, but had a, a pretty decent size abscess that was injected in his leg. And so I had to drain it and send off the cultures, pack it, um, and then see him in follow-up for, you know, and numbed it up first, you know, all these different yeah. additional charges, um, build for build for those charges to insurance. Um, and the insurance refused to cover it. And so the patient had to pay something like fourteen hundred dollars for that for that visit. Um, and I had to continuously provide more documentation in the notes over and over again, even though the same notes were sent over and over um, until the, the insurance company finally said, oh, um, it's because you're a primary care physician and not a surgeon and we don't pay for this for uh, primary doctors. It's, it's only, you have to be a specialist to cover it. Oh my um, God. So, so, that's, so that's one um, very, very egregious um, situation. So I, so I still luckily had the membership, you know, payment for, from the, from the, yeah. from the patient to, to support, you know, the bills of my practice. Um, but I got nothing in addition to that, which is basically like a direct primary yeah. care practice. So rather than spending all those hours and faxes and, you know, phone calls, um, just to find out that I was, you know, valued much less than a specialist by this insurance company. Um, I just said, so did okay, you ever say to them, matter. should I have sent this guy on his way to with an app? I mean, it doesn't yeah, matter, but I mean, <laughs> you're just like, but come um, on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so another, another case is, well, this is not really my services, but for an instance, um, you know, uh, there, there is a test called the Cologuard, which is a stool test to screen for colon yeah. cancer. 
and uh, you know, very healthy patient with no uh, family history, very few risk factors. Decide, you know, wanted to do that instead of for colonoscopy. Um, and so the insurance company, uh, commercial insurance company, um, said uh, this is not covered and billed the patient uh, six hundred and something dollars. Um, whereas with her deductible, had she decided to go for a colonoscopy, the cost out of pocket for her would have been three thousand dollars. So she knew this and and paid it anyway, but I provided letters to say, you know, you can pay this $600 for this test rather than risk um, complications from anesthesia, infection, all these things, and pay the hospital their fees, um, or you can pay it. Of course, it didn't matter. They, they still didn't cover it, but um, I, I could probably try and figure out how to order that and do it in my office for you know, less cost, but it's, it's the lab, you know, yeah. so I can't really have any control over that, but that's another, um, you know, nonsensical insurance, you know, decision. Yeah. yeah. And there, I, I learned more from you about, well, not so much anymore because you're not dealing with it, but, uh, between different clients that I have the, yes, yeah. the, the counter, the you know, the problem is, you know, the patients, it's impossible for them to know, you know, that I really have no control over yeah. any of that. You know, um, they think that just because the doctor orders it, that it'll be covered, you know, um, because I have the ability to decide what is justified and, and appropriate, mm -hmm. right? Um, but the insurance companies don't care. No, they seem to have this, this part of what I said in the opening. It's they're sitting at the table and not helping anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you've made, say, two major transitions in your career, right? I mean, it's, it's always been primary care, but, but different, very different models. Um, and at any given time, I mean, a lot of, it's a big deal to make these kinds of changes. So it's a, it's a risk. It's, it's, you know, what's going to happen? Is it going to work? And a lot of people don't make it. They just say, you know what, I'm just going to ride it out because uh, I'm stuck or I don't even think it that deeply. What, why didn't you just swallow all this and just keep going? I mean, what made you say, I just, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I, I, I got to try this. Like what, what got you over those humps and kept going? Um, well, it was either change or quit. Really? Um, okay. the option, there was no option to continue in that capacity for me. Okay. Um, yes, there, there are physicians that are doing it and, you know, more power to them. And, um, but I, I've never been able to um, crank out patients every 10 minutes, mm -hmm. which is what is, you know, um, kind of the norm nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, increasingly crabby, unhappy. Uh, I did not, I constantly felt that I had one foot out the door to go to the next patient because I was running behind um, and not focused on the patient. Um, and maybe that's just my, you know, lack of ability to do that. Um, and and I, no matter how much I tried to increase my efficiency, um, whether it was with dictation and like getting in and out of the room and using medical assistance and all that, I just, I just didn't have it in me. Um, and, and so I think for my personality, that just, that just didn't work. Uh, and, and I felt like I was missing, you know, really important information from patients. I could never get caught up. I was constantly drowning in paperwork and, um, and yeah, my inbox was, you know, like, yeah. 40 messages by the end of the day. And 
I have to get up and go back again the next morning and do it all over again. So, um, you know, the days were getting longer. I was getting less satisfaction. Um, and I really did not feel like I was providing my patients with the care they needed. So for me, it was either do it right or don't do it at all. Um, so, so I was, I was seriously looking into, I don't know, some other non-medical profession. Um, Did you have like a, I'd go here if I just quit this one day. Uh, well, part of, part of the reason I didn't was because I didn't have a backup plan. So, um, (laughs) it it would have been riskier to, to, to do that than, than to just change the model of practice, which fortunately, you know, I could have done urgent care or employee health or, you know, like fortunately in family medicine, you, you have options, Mm -hmm. you know, um, some, some doctors change and do, you know, um, chart reviews, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so you're still using your, your knowledge. Um, my former primary, um, partner in private practice, uh, left clinical medicine and, uh, went into, uh, the pharmaceutical industry in, in research and development. So, you know, there are options, um, but I, but I really was ready to just hang it up. Wow. Wow. So would you recommend direct primary care to other family practice physicians? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You have to have a little bit of, you know, um, knowledge of, of how the business runs. You have to be a little bit more in terms of that. Um, and again, physicians are not good business people. I think had I not slowly transitioned and learned the ins and outs with this concierge, mm-hmm. because I was kind of, I was employed by that, but also given the freedom to run the practice how I wanted. It It was a steep learning curve, but it helped prepare me to be able to do my own direct primary care practice. So I had a little bit of a transition there that allowed me to kind of learn from some mistakes. Um, so, you know, that, that was, that was a bonus. Um, and, and I think you, you know, there are some residents coming right out of training that are going into direct primary care and it's a little bit lonely. You know, the, the, the model is more either a one doc or two doc practice or they're, you know, they're, they're small practices. If you don't have uh, people to bounce things off of, or, you know, have like a, a good Rolodex handy and you're coming straight out of training. I think that's, um, that's difficult. Uh, you know, I, I have 20 plus years of, of, mm-hmm. uh, experience, like you said, with a really good base of, of specialists that I refer to and people that I can call mm-hmm. and, you know, um, and, and that I think, helps the patients expect you to have like a lot of, um, you know, kind of stuff in your back pocket to be able to guide them, you know, um, and not just refer out every little thing or say, you know, not have that knowledge to go off. What's the best part for you about DPC? What do you think the best part is just about it? Not dealing with insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's so much more simple. Um, you know, yeah, my bottom dollar and my take-home pay is less, um, but it's worth it for me. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I enjoy medicine again. I can, um, I have the time to research all the new stuff and, you know, with everything that was going on with COVID, it, 
you know, had I been in a traditional practice, there's no way I could have kept up with everything. Mm. Um, I, I have time for my family. Um, I can, you know, I can do house calls again um, and not have to think about, well, you know, how much am I going to get reimbursed for this? So, um, yeah, it's, it, I definitely think it's better. Um, and again, without all those rules and regulations, I, you know, I can, I can just focus on right. giving a patient what they right. need. It's interesting. You know, you go to medical school, you learn how to do things, you go to residency, you gain experience and nobody ever tells you you're going to have to compromise with insurance. There's no class on that. I imagine. I don't, you know? I don't have to worry about coding. Yeah. That is probably the number one bonus of not having to do with insurances. I don't care what the codes are. Yes, I have to have diagnosis codes for, you know, lab orders and x-rays and things like that, but not for reimbursement. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about any of that. Now, for somebody who's, who's thinking about DPC or they're just interested in it, what's something like that they need, you think they need to know, but they just wouldn't know until they got into it. They'd be they'd be, you know, beneficial for them to know beforehand. I think it's more, yeah, you, you should have uh, a good idea of your population of patients and, and, and educate them and know if they're willing to, to cover that membership price. And it's different. You can set whatever your membership price you want. Um, So you'll, if you, if you look at different practices in different geographic locations, it's, there's no like one rule. Um, the, probably the best advice I can give is that the physicians that have made this change want everybody to succeed and are more than willing to provide, um, leadership and advice. Um, there are forums out there, there are conferences, there are Facebook groups, everybody willing to, to help each other. You, you don't have to do it on your own. Um, you know, you don't have to research at all. People even share their, their forms, you know, their consent forms. And uh, it's, it's pretty amazing how much it's, it's not competitive. Um, the physicians want this um, model to succeed and to spread and people to realize how much it can enhance their practices. Um, and so that's probably the one thing is don't be afraid to, to get guidance and help from other people that have okay. done it. I mean, that's probably the best. Okay, advice. great. Cool. Well, we could spend a lot of time. There's a lot more questions I could ask, but in the interest of uh, keeping it to our bite-sized advice for the business side of practice, I'll say, Ingrid, thanks for coming on Practice Care and for sharing sharing your experience about DPC and, and why you made the change and why you kept going. I think it's really beneficial for other people to hear. We will, Thank yeah, you. we will uh, put your contact info, like at least the website and stuff in the show notes that if somebody wants to reach out to you to ask more questions, they'll be able to do it. Um, and a couple of other points before we wrap up, if you are like Ingrid Liu and you've got some experience on the business side of your practice, or if you're someone like me that services private practices, we'd like you to come on practice care and share your experience so that others can benefit from it in the show notes for the episode. There'll be a link where you can just fill out a quick form, tell us what you want to talk about, and we'll get you scheduled as soon as possible. And then finally, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to practice care on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks very much. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Practice Care with Carl White. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.